And Harry looked at me and goes, what do you think? And he pointed at me. I said, I disagree. I said, the risk is in the ground, Harry. If surely the percentage completion of the job has to be 60% because there's more risk. And he just looked at all of me and went, do what he said. <laughs> I'm like, and he's used me ever since. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Sham and in this episode, we're back with Tyron Hyde, the CEO of Washington Brown. With 30 years of experience at the company and a stint of living and learning in the jungle, his life has been nothing but unique. His skills and knowledge have earned the accolades of some well-known names, yet his journey started with just a $1,000 deposit. Hyde's life has been anything but traditional in many ways and the same can be said for his property investment journey. When he first got into property, he'd say he went down a different path to most via quantity surveying rather than through bought properties. But I remember one time before my father died, I, I told him that I was doing this this job. Um, I was going around because the first when I first started, depreciation wasn't a thing yet. It hadn't really started in this. So I'm, I, I did traditional quantity surveying, which means that I, a developer might go to a bank and want to borrow $50 million. The bank just doesn't go, here you go, here's 50 million bucks. They'll go to a valuer and say, okay, well, the, the, the completed sales are worth 200 million. You've bought the land for 50 million. What's it going to cost to build? They go to an independent quantity surveyor that's on their panel. And the independent quantity surveyor will say, you know, 75 or $100 million. And then each month you go out and you do what's called a progress claim. And you say, okay, well, you've, poured, you've, you've excavated the site, you've poured the, the transfer slab, uh, you've done the block work on the site. This is how much the job's been 7% complete, or probably 10% complete. Therefore, you, if the total building work is 75 million, the bank will give the developer $7.5 million and hold the rest. So you do progressive payments because they don't go, here you go, here's all the money. Um, and so, yeah, I've got it right. <laughs> there might be problems if they did that. Um, so that was that was my first job and I did that for a long time. And I, I loved it. I loved going out on the building sites and talking to and, and learning construction techniques and the, and the developers that I, I met doing, doing that were just fabulous, you know. I, um, have a coffee with them, talk about their building projects and they love talking to someone on their site, you know. It was, it was really good experience in that regard. Um, so when I remember telling my father that I was going to these building sites and doing all, all, all this kind of you know progress claims, and so he was, I just remember it's probably the one time I remember him being really proud of me before he died. So it was really good. He's met a large number of developers in his career, including one exceptionally notable name. Well, it starts from Harry Trigoboff down. Harry Trigoboff's my client. He's uh, he's uh, been a client for 25 years, but he uses us for depreciation because he doesn't use banks, so he doesn't need progress claims. He funds most of his projects himself. So I think he got to the point where he got wealthy enough where he just said, well, it was Harry, he'd be, he'd be like, the banks, I'll do it myself. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, so he said he, we only did depreciation for him. Um, and also we did, we've done some other things, like sometimes like when the GST came along, we had to value every project because it was quite interesting in the year 2000, so June 30, 2000, God. So we had to go around to every project that he had and how it worked was when the GST came on, if every building was 50% complete, all this work completed after that had to be 
um, GST, GST payable, all the work complete. So, so sales would be 50%. And so we'd have to go to every building site he did and say, work out exactly what percentage completion of that project is. And it's kind of an arbitrary thing. Like how do you value exactly what it's like? Because some arguments would be that um, a job is more complete when you're out of the ground because the risk has been taken out. And actually it was a kind of a, uh, interesting story where I remember being in this boardroom with uh, like a big one of the big four accounting firms, and I was only like I must have been twenty seven or something twenty eight, and how, we're talking about how to value these different buildings at com- percentage completion, and the uh, the the accountant said, well, no, you just got to work out exactly how much dollars you spent and how much you you're going to spend. If it's, if you spent fifty percent of the money, it's fifty percent complete. And Harry looked at me and goes, what do you think? He pointed at me. I said I disagree. I said the risk is in the ground, Harry. Surely the percentage completion of the job has to be 60% because there's more risk. And he just looked at all of me and went, do what he said. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And he's used me ever since. The groundwork needs to be laid just right for the foundation to fall into place without any problems. Problems means delays. And as we know, time is money. It started with Harry. And it works its way down, I guess, from from some of the, the, the more salubrious ones. We, we've got like um, the top places of the world. We've worked with them over the times and hold them like John Nassif, those type of guys, but we haven't done a work with them for a long. But down to, to developers that are doing, you know, 10-unit story, 10-unit, 12-unit uh, walk-ups in, you know, Pendle Hill or something like that. So we've, we've worked with many range of developers over the years and individuals and, yeah. So Washington doesn't just do uh, big clients. We... I guess most of our clients now, uh, in terms of tax, are your mum and dad investors, to be honest. As Hyde broadened the scope of his business over time, it's grown substantially in the last decade. Since Washington Brown has been evolving, Hyde gives us an overview of what the company is all about. Well, the main thing is these days we do depreciation reports for whether you're buying a hotel, a residential two-bedroom unit, you know, um, a factory, um, commercial building. So we'll go out to the property um, depending on what type of property or whether we've got the cost, we might not have to um, go to the property. And we work out what you can claim in terms of the, the wear and tear of that property. And that gives you a depreciation schedule, which will then reduce your taxable income. So basically, we're, we're trying to save property investors money. And the ATO accepts what quantities of or um, that we say because there's a ruling on that. They, they, they accountants used to do it many years ago and then they worked out that we, through the combination of our construction cost skill and our tax knowledge, it's a good combination to be the appropriate body to, to estimate these costs. As for his property journey, his first property was in typical Hyde style, unusual. Rather than a freestanding home or even a standard apartment block, he decided to take on an unconventional project. The first purchase I made was with a friend. It was probably the best pound for like um, uh, pound for pound property uh, it was th- it was the best investment I've still to this made to this day have made I was actually the QS on a project in Balmain and I also I was, I was doing the project certification and I put down and I, with a friend that I was living with at the time we put down one thousand dollars each as a, as a holding deposit right I don't know whether the developers accept it these days but back then you could you could put down a thousand bucks as a holding deposit and then the building went the, the, the builder went broke um, and so the, the project got extended and extended for like three years and I was involved in the job and had to help the developer work out how we're going to finish this in terms of budget and, and you know literally paying the subcontractors directly being involved in the not just certifying 
the overall job of certifying the actual individual subcontractors as well. It was a uh, apartment block. It was an Balmain RSL. Um, so I'm Darling, 440 Darling Street, I think it is. Um, and so it was a big conversion. So it was actually quite a complicated build. And that's probably why the, the building price wasn't, um, wasn't easy to get correct. And so, yeah, it was, a massive, it, was a, it was an existing building that had to be converted, like an existing RSL club converted into units. So very hard to price, right? Very hard to price. And so when the builder went broke, the developer had to take it over and take over on, on the trades just to finish it. And I helped him in that process. Um, and so when it came to the getting settled, settled the, 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 three years later, the, prop, the price had gone up substantially. Um, and so... I didn't have to. We didn't have to borrow any money. We, we they take. We took, but back then, so they would take the equity and they go, "Well, it's actually gone up 150k or whatever it was." Um, so what the one thousand dollars that I'd put in had turned up had multiplied by exponential. So that was like my, and I had no money back then. I was like, "My God, this is this is a good gig." Um, it hasn't always been that good. Because it had gone past the sunset clause, the developer had his work cut out for him. He was a very fair developer. He's a very he was a wonderful guy. I learned an incredible amount from him. Um, but what he did was he went back to some of the purchasers and said, "Oh, look, it's gone up this much. Can you put in? Is, you've, you've made a hundred grand from this from the extra time. I'm just asking for thirty, just because the costs have gone up as well." And everyone did. No one did it. He's made it fair enough for everyone to do it. And it was a fair point. But because I'd helped him through the way, he didn't actually ask. I was the only one that he didn't ask to do that, which was wonderful. Um, so the, part, the, 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 the girl that put in with me, Janine, at the time, she, she got golden ticket because she, she didn't have to do any work and she got the benefit of it as well. Um, and we ended up selling that. We ended up selling it, but it was a good, like, it was a really good investment. So th that was the first one. The other one I mentioned was another one. I did, again, we put, I didn't have much money. And so me, my wife, Sandy, weren't married at the time, and my brother, we all went thirds in the deposit. And I think it's a good way for younger people to, to get into the market is to, is to put in. You've got, you've got to have some um, rules around it, like what if someone wants to get out, have something written. Um, you, know, if, if, you know, if one person wants to get out, you should have some, something documented about um, you know, what are the exit, exit um, strategies. Um, but again, because we didn't all have the money to put in, I was actually working on the job. I, it was um, the finger wharf, um, Lang Walker, the Walker, Walker, um, uh, Lang Walker, which is a beautiful. We just bought a, a small one better there back then. I can't remember what it cost, but it, it went up. But I, I did sell that one because the levies were so high. You could see, you know, the, 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 and and so every time we we kept putting into into something bigger and bigger, um, and so. Yeah, I've bought a fair few properties over the years, that's for sure. Um, but as I've got older, I've, I've tended to sell down and have, you know, I'm the worst property investor now in terms of uh, growth, Tyrone, because I, I don't have much gearing, which is a nice position to be in, but I'm not going to be the richest man in the grave and I'm quite happy about that. I sleep well at night. We take a trip back to Bondi where Hyde woke up in an idyllic view of a stunning suburb every day. As he loved it so much, he even tried to buy it twice. That was a beautiful spot in North Bondi, um, Bright Boulevard. It's a beautiful view over Bondi, and and there's, but there's only three in the block. Um, so there was one two-level kind of penthouse, and one below. And who who was a wonderful man lived there. He died I don't know five years ago. He's about ninety-two, and loved loved it. And we we're in the middle one. And so when he passed away, I wanted to buy it. And I wanted to combine them. 
and um, but the other guy upstairs, he wanted to buy it as well. So me and him got into a bit of bidding war. And I know he's quite wealthy. And I know I'm going to lose this war. So he ended up buying it. So he ended up owning these two. Um, and then when we were in Bar- living in Bali, then he offered us. Um, it was a like I wanted to die there. I was I, I he he started making some noise about oh come on you know I might do you want to sell do you want to sell and I actually left him a copy of the castle the movie at his doorstep said I oh, mate I'm I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna die here. Uh, uh, anyway, then he made us an offer too good to refuse, and so I we um yeah so we we sold and now we bought live in Clavelli, which um I guess it's a it's it's a lot more calmer. Uh, but just as beautiful and um, yeah so now it's a it's a nice spot to be here his time in Bali taught him many things not taught in schools or universities or even in the workforce you realize you know to slow down what you know you you can be so busy 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 trying to you know I'm so busy I'm so busy but you know you, you get a bit more relaxed in Bali the Balinese are a lot more relaxed and you know just walking down the streets and just looking up you know and so I, I, that's what i really love about clavelli um look don't get me wrong i love bali i'm not, I, sorry i love bondi we lived there for 17 years um but i i think i've just got a little bit older and and it's a not calmer and you know i love going back to bondi um but it's you know when when you live in bondi it's different like people go how do you live in bondi it's so busy but when you live there you don't have to go anywhere so you, you parking's not if you've got a car spot parking's not the issue a lot of the problems that people have about bondi is parking right but if you've got it if you if you've got a car spot there it's not a problem and then you don't have to leave on the weekends <laughs> although his first two properties were such amazing deals that would make any investor swoon his aha moment actually doesn't feature property at all i've invested in a lot of things whether it be shares or or property but if there was one thing i had to tell my daughter as a tip to um well firstly property is, is good as a great vehicle and read my book, darling, when you get older. But one, the number one thing I would tell my 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 daughter is to never borrow money for shares. And I and I said this to her the other day. I said, I said, Taylor, what's rule number one about investing? I said, never buy money for shares. I said, Taylor, what's rule number two? I said, never forget rule number one. Now, I've, I've, right? <laughs> because I, I, I've I've made a lot of lot of money in property, but I've lost a lot of money in shares. Um, and I still invest in shares, but I never borrow for shares. Someone said to me once when I was younger, if you can't afford to own a share, don't buy a share. And I wish I took their advice. And twice, I've nearly lost everything. Buyer, greed, pure enough of greed. And that's why I guess at the, as I got older, I've started saying, well, you know what, I don't want this debt. It's not that I made bad investments in shares. They were good shares. They were, they were good companies. But what happens in things like when the tech crash happened and the GSC came along, you're forced into this situation where you have to either sell up like if you're if you're if you're if you've got a 70% say you buy $100 worth of shares and you've borrowed 70 70 of that dollars and you've got 30% equity if the stock market goes down 30% which can happen can happen especially if you're in tech stocks or the wrong type of stocks it's pretty easy to come back quickly your your 30% is down to zero so you've either got to prop it up with your own cash or sell so I never, ever, I, I thought, well, I didn't want to put good money after bad on these two occasions. So I was on the, uh, it snowballs because people are getting margin called and, and even though you know they're good stocks, it might be PHP, it might be Commonwealth Bank, but you've just got to go, this is, I've got, otherwise you've got to start drawing equity from to keep it. Otherwise, So the, the gearing ratio, so why I say it's greed? Because I was too geared. I was too heavily geared into shares. Um, 
And so the, uh, my only saving grace was that I'd never borrowed money against my properties to put into shares and I never borrowed it against the business. If he were to start his journey all over again, Hyde sees this one as the main things he wouldn't change. Like I would have lost everything. If, if I'd borrowed money against the business or, or, or borrowed money against properties to put into shares, it would have just gone to smoke. So at least if you keep the assets the separate, they're not going to be affected. Um, so, so I still invest in shares, but definitely I never ever borrow to do it. When I was geared, Tyrone, I couldn't sleep because I would, I'd be worrying what the Nasdaq was doing overnight, and I was like, "What am I doing?" You know, it's not, and you're not focusing on your business. So, at least when you're not geared, when you're not geared, and you just you just put in there, and you go, "Okay, I'll just buy Commonwealth Bank shares." Um, that, they're going to go up and down, but you can sleep well. You know, One, looking back on hindsight, if I was to start my share portfolio now I'm not telling anyone what to do this is your own business go and lose your own money <laughs> um, I'd probably put an off financial advice all that stuff um, and I, well I, it's not financial advice if I tell you not to do anything is it really <laughs> do nothing sometimes doing nothing is the best strategy I've, I've learned sometimes doing nothing is the best strategy just, you don't have to do anything just sit back and wait you know and, and wait and pounce um, but if I was to start my share portfolio again I'd probably put half of it into the four banks because you know what? Banks don't lose. You know, they pay a pretty good dividend and and it's uh, it's and then yeah, so I'd also probably if I was looking back at my 20-year-old self, I'd probably say to myself, buy crypto when it first comes out. You know when they start valuing companies that have no earnings based upon their revenue, it's a sure sign that there's something wrong with the model, right? It's, it's, and another thing I've learned in life is when something like a private equity company buys a company and then sells it onto the market, right? I'm wary of that company straight away. It's, um, I'm not a dip out. I'm, I'm not going in that float, thanks anyway, but uh, I think there's a reason why you're selling it. Coming up after the break, a debate about tipping doormen and what it means for the market. There's about three people that are in my life that ring me up at the top of a boom and say, Tyrone, should I get in now? He explains how the hobbies he does in his free time tie in with how he flexes the muscles in his brain at work. I'm kind of an all or nothing guy. He lets us in on how he has his wife to thank for so much in his life. But luck definitely has a part of it. I was lucky that I I, 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 I met my partner, Washington um, Brown. I was like, and that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Looking to save money on your taxes and maximize your property investment returns? Look no further than Washington Brown, Australia's leading tax depreciation specialist. Their team of experienced professionals can help you claim the maximum depreciation deductions on your investment property, ensuring you save thousands of dollars on your tax bill each year. Plus, with over 40 years of experience in the industry, you can trust them to provide expert advice and guidance with every step of the way. Contact Washington Brown today to see how they can help you save big on your taxes and boost your property investment returns. Simply visit washingtonbrown.com.au Plus, if you order a depreciation schedule and mention Property Investory, you get a special offer from Tyrone Hyde. 
who will send you a signed copy of his book, Keep Claiming It. To the uninitiated, the share market can easily appear intimidating. Despite its lack of entry-level user-friendliness, Hyde is quick to point out that it's not that difficult along with a few other things. Every time there's a good company announcement by someone, it's the worst time to buy that stock because they already know it. So it goes up for the first day and then the next couple of days, it's gone. It's, so, you know, you sell an announcement. I've, I've worked out rather than buy an announcement because it's already priced in and too many people know this, you know, inside knowledge must, even though it's hard to police, it's got to be there because it's, you just can see it. As we've all learnt post-2020, share market crashes are just one thing that can put the property market into a spin. So I sold two properties during COVID um, because I, I could see that when pro- prices were so low and everyone thought they were missing out, I, it's time to sell. Um, so, and I look, I'm not a, I, I, some of the properties I've sold over the years, I've thought, oh, I wish I kept that one. But I've always generally put it back into the property market, just probably in a bigger way. But it just looked ridiculous to me, the, the amount of like, when people, there's about three people that are in my life that ring me up at the top of a boom and say, Ty, should I get in now? And when these three people ring me up, I know it's the time to sell. Right? They're like my own personal, what's that saying in America? The door, when the doorman starts giving you a tip, you know, you know there's something wrong. Well, I've got about three doormen in my life and I know when they're, when they're ringing me up asking for advice, it's uh, time, to, time to go. <laughs> and look, um, and so I, I, I guess they were not my best performing properties. So, you know, it wasn't, it was, it, it was a good time. That's the thing during those times when there's FOMO going on. That's a good time to actually get uh, maybe to let go of some of the properties, your non-performing properties. Not that everyone has not you know, enough portfolio to do that, but that's a good time where everything's going to sell. You know, uh, if I was trying probably trying to sell those properties now, um, it'd probably be a bit different story. You know, one of his best deals was again an unusual situation. This time involving a commercial property. I didn't actually buy it in Washington Brown's name. I bought it in my super funds name. So and then Washington Brown became the tenant, and that is one of the best strategies if, if, if you've got a business and you can actually own the property that you're within um, and you could become the tenant, well, you know, you've got no tenant risk. Um, and so, you know, uh, and in the super fund, it's the, one of the best things about your super fund is, well, was until now, but you, you lower tax rate on your income. So even though, so I, I was, I bought a 300 square meter office in Pitt Street um, and Washington Brown became the tenant and, and that income was going into my super fund, but only tax at fifteen percent. Obviously, now if you've got, they're, they're going to raise that to thirty percent of your one of those people that have over three million in your super fund. Um, but it's still, it's still fifteen percent under that. So it is a good strategy that you, you take out the tenant risk. And I bought that during the GFC, and the, that person couldn't get a tenant. And I thought, well, this is I can I can be the tenant. Um, and so it was a it was a probably it was a great buy. And then I sold that just well in Bali just before COVID, which was. Which was lucky. I didn't know COVID was coming. I've got to be honest with you, Tyrone. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so lucky. And then because then because we I did because I we didn't need because I'd set up the business for people to work a bit more remotely. There was a lot of vacant space within the office, so I was like, well, I don't need this bigger space. Um, and so we just rented one down the on the same floor, but a couple of suites down from where we were. And, and then he couldn't get a tenant, unfortunately, so he chopped it up into four small suites and now I've rented one of them back off him. So, it's well the full circle. 
if pre 2020 saw everybody working in the offices and 2020 saw everybody working from home, Hyde settled on a happy medium that works for both him and his staff. I go back once a fortnight, once a week, just because you know the social interaction um, and getting out of the house, and that's what most do. But we don't certainly need to. A lot of my staff, like they live on, say, I've got one one guy who lives on the northern beaches. You know, he was travelling an hour and a half each way. He's got three hours extra to spend with his kids. You know, um, and so they love it. And like most of my uh, employees are. are have kids they're, they're not I don't we don't have many um 21 year olds uh so they're, they're more, more family orientated and so they love the extra time to pick up their kids or to you know to to spend time with the kids everyone's getting an extra couple of days a couple of hours a day and especially you know the, the dread of traveling because I find that it's always been difficult you know getting on trains and stuff like that and Man, when I was traveling to the city every day from where I was living, it was a dread for an hour and a half. Like as, as much as I love the quietness to get away and stuff like that, I just felt like it was just a grind. And um, you find that, that that extra hour and a half makes you feel a lot better because you're not in all that kind of stress around you as well. But it's not a grind when, when you're only doing it once a week or once a fortnight. Hyde has written two books, but the process to publication wasn't quite the stress-free experience he had hoped for. And then the laws changed in 2017. And so they had to, we, we can no longer claim depreciation on plant equipment on secondhand properties anymore. And so all this, all the, all the, all this kind of uh, half a book went out the window. So I had to rewrite it and have it with, keep claiming it. <laughs> and so, <laughs> which covers all, which covers all new budget changes. Um, so look, it's not just about property, it's not just about depreciation. Um, that might put a few people to sleep. It's, it's about property investment in general, about my property investing journey. Um, there's about a chapter on how I rise Harry, uh, my association with Harry and, you know, working with him over the years. And so, yeah, it's not just about depreciation, even though it's called Keep Claiming It, a property depreciation guide. Um, it's about property investment. So the funny thing is I think the number one overwhelming response when I launched it um, was, well, Ty, it's actually readable. Thank you. <laughs> And I joked that it became a bestseller and where's Australian bestseller. And I say, well, because in order to be have a bestseller on your book, you have, you have to sell minimum 7,000 copies. And I say, became a bestseller. And I said, just be, the fact that my mother bought 5,000 copies is completely irrelevant. When I launched it, I actually said to the, the publisher, because I just thought it was a marketing thing that people just put book, you know, bestseller on it. And I thought, oh, you know, everyone just does that, don't they? And I said to my publisher, can you just put that on it? No, you have to actually legitimately. I went, really? I just thought it was marketing. Um, but there's it actually laws around that. Some people claim that writing a book is a bit like running a marathon, but only a few can claim they've done both and have the ability to compare. I've done four. I, 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 I don't know whether I, I've got a sore back now, Tyrone. I don't know whether I can do another one. <laughs> but uh, I've done four. I did, I did Sydney when I was oh, about 30, and then I had a break. And then I've always wanted to do the New York one. That was um, that was probably one of the highlights of my life. The New York Marathon is special. You, you, you run through the whole all five boroughs of, um, of of New York, and you then you run through you run you run up to Harlem, and the the, the sound of Rocky beating through the streets of Harlem. So you're at it like the thirty second kilometer. You hear it through the streets, it's, and it's the whole way. When I was doing the marathon, I, I wore an Aussie shirt, right? And I had on a um, go tie and then on the back, I, I had Aussie, 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 right? And so the whole way I'd hear, 
Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Oi, oi. And on the back, I had oi, oi, oi. So I'd hear Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. And then I'd hear oi, oi, oi the whole way. And it was, it was, uh, and through the, the New York Marathon, the whole way, it is, it's like seven to 10 deep on streets. It is such a huge event. It is, it, not, it's huge. Um, and they've got like bands on every street corner. They've got like gospel choirs and it's, it's something special. It really is special. And then you end up, you run, you run through Harlem. Uh, and then you come back down, you finish in Central Park. And then when I got to Central Park, there was my wife and my daughter and my mum waiting for me. On the, they got grandstands there, and I was so emotional. I was, oh, I did it! I did it! Because it was really, 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 really special day. Really special. The 42-kilometer New York Marathon was definitely a fitness test in a half, showing Hyde he had the ability to conquer his physical goals as well as his property goals. I'm kind of an all-or-nothing guy when I, because the marathon's a big challenge. It's, mentally, it's more of a challenge. So when I do it, if I commit to one, I can. I reckon I can still do one. Um, but if, it's it's something like because you've got to train for like four months at least to get there. Because you, you do it in increments. You might start on with doing ten k's and then twelve k's, and you do you, what you tend to do is you do one long run a week. So you start. You might start six months out or five months out. You start so it's ten. Then the next weekend on a Saturday, you might you might do two intermediate runs during the week, and then on the, the next Saturday you'll do fourteen, and then you'll keep adding it closer to so you time it so you get to like you know thirty eight k's before you do your big marathon um, run. So yeah, no, so it's, it's it's a process. You, you 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 you've got to build up your your legs to get to that point. But then if you do it at 38, if you only run 38, let me tell you that last 4Ks where you haven't done that extra um, extra 4K, it kills, right? So someone, I've actually read other story, other strategies where you, you actually run a further than a marathon before you run the marathons. It's so interesting. It's about strategy as well too because it sounds like you've got to have a plan. You can't just go and run that marathon and thinking that, yeah, it's all, it's mental. It's all mental too. But when you're actually in the marathon, so it's it's sometimes it's harder training because you've got you, there's no one else there saying come on like when you're there and you feel slowing down people will come and help you come on let's go and come on you're like okay <laughs> I broke four hours I think I did three fifty something like that yeah yeah so it's a long time. Mental strength and abilities play a large role in both running and the sport we call property investment. While one works out your physical muscles, the other works on the mental ones. Well, learning, I guess I would say with that it would be learning. So you have to do a lot of study in order how to how to how to do that. And I've I've always been a keen educating myself. Like when I when I first started into depreciation, there was no there's no books on how to do it. So you just had to I just I used to sit there all night and try and read tax laws. I know that's a bit that might not sound exciting to people, but I used to love it. I used to love it. I used to look there and go, and then, I, and then a client would come along with a certain different, um, a certain different case, or they, they've done something different because so, there's so many ways of, of, of structuring or, or, or different scenarios in property that we still do all the time. There's different leases. There's different. They've, they've bought a property halfway. It's been half renovated, or the builder's gone broke, and then they've taken it over. And so, how do we then structure that into what it, we end up giving the client a report? So there's many different ways and different rulings on on those type of things and so i'd try and get my head into that so i can give the client the best knowledge for them to to um save money i guess um and so just a life learning of um tax has helped me build washington brown and and also the construction knowledge that i also had from doing all the progress claims actually knowing how bill of building stuff and what it costs to actually build that has benefited 
Bosch and Brown and, and our clients, I guess. With developers, so when you're doing dealing with the Harry Trigwells of the world, you're learning, like Harry, I've got to be honest with you, I don't think anyone knows more about property depreciation than uh, I'd say like the head of the QS Qantas Vang firms that specialise in this. I'd, I'd say he'd know more about it than a lot of um, Qantas surveyors out there because he, he, he knows so much about every facet of his business. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. When he first completed the book, he sent Harry Triggerboff a signed copy as a thank you for his recommendation. Of course, that was far from the end of it. He wrote the, one of the um, recommendations on my book, right? which is pretty cool. I used to have lunch with him every year and he said, Harry, I've got a book coming out and you're in it. You want to read it before, you know, it's released. So he read it at lunch <laughs> and then he got a napkin over. He got a napkin and he signed. I said, do you want to he just sign? He wrote, what did he write? He wrote, I made up my mind to work with Tyron when I saw him and I never went to another Quantity's Vaya and I've never regretted it, Harry Trigoboff. <laughs> so he signed it on a napkin uh, at lunch and I, that's what I use because Harry doesn't have a computer, never had a computer in his life. Um, he doesn't need a computer. He knows if he can, back then, if he, he knows he can buy land for 50K, build it for 150K, this is back a long time ago, and sell it for 400K, it works. Why do I need a, why do I need a Macquarie Bank spreadsheet? So when I see him in the book, he, read, he must have read it and then about his, his, his executive assistant um, phoned me up about a week later and said, Harry wants to buy six more books. I went, why? She said, because he's making his executive team all read it. <laughs> so they had, an, they had an understanding of it, which is good. Out of all the things that you've done, your business, your property and stuff, how much of that success is due to intelligence, hard work and skill and how much of it do you think has been because of luck? Oh, that's a good question. And I think any successful person that says that luck doesn't have a big part in it is lying. I was lucky. I'm lucky to have to meet my wife for starters, okay? Um, and this is true because I was lucky that she'll, she'll love me saying this, <laughs> but um, I was – I feel like sometimes I'm the luckiest man in the world. I actually, when I die, I want to have the song "Lucky Man" played at my at my at my funeral. But luck definitely has a part of it. I was lucky that I met my partner, Wash, um, Washington Brown. I was lucky that I met my daughter, my wife, because in year twelve I wasn't going. Uh, year eleven I was a bit of a rat bag and I wasn't studying that well. And then we kind of got together in year twelve and I saw that maybe I should start studying. And if I didn't meet her, I wouldn't have gone studied enough to get the marks to go to university. So. Um, so in that regards, I was lucky. I, I was lucky that I met Tony, my partner of Washington Brown, and he had a business that um, that was Aquinas Surveying. And I was lucky in that I saw an uh, that I went down the path of quantity depreciation schedules because. But then there was the other side of it. There's also the determination of doing this, right? And I, at the age of 27, left Washington Brown and started my own little business. Said I can do this by myself, and said. So it was like at 27, I picked up and said, I, 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 used to, I had no money and I would just ring people up and say, hey, there's this new tax law that's come out Let's, and drive around from development site to development site, offering these developers a free marketing estimate so that they could possibly sell this to the, um, to the to help them sell the units. And no one was doing this at the point. There's only one other quantity surveyor that started here at that point. So it kind of paved the way in this whole field. Um, so is that luck or is that determination? I would say that's more entrepreneurialism you know this is before the this is before the internet this is when you had to post out a quote but definitely luck has had a big part i, I we had to give it a ratio i reckon it's 50 50 now that's a cop out i reckon i reckon it's 30 percent luck 30 percent luck
If people want to reach out to you, want to learn more about your journey, especially in Bali and all the changes that you've gone through, what's the best way to learn more from you and um, access those books? Well, this has got a bit about our whole family journey. It's not just about Bali. It's about how we ran, how I ran Washington Brown. This is our green chain. If you Google our green chain, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's not a technical book. Obviously, it's a, it's a memoir by my wife. Um, story. It's a story. As you learn about, you know, if you're sitting there after this podcast, Google our green, our uh, sorry, Google. A green school and click on the images and you'll see what a fantastic um build what structure these are every day they have architectural um walks during the through the buildings there so if you're in bali you can you you they encourage you to, to to um to visit the school and, and walk through it i had a meeting yesterday with a financial planner that i'm ta- that i'm talking with at the moment and he's got kids i think nine seven and four and i talked to him about it he'd never heard of it and and I wasn't there to sell the book or anything. We were just talking about it. And then I get a message from him an hour later saying, just bought three books. My wife's really interested in this school. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not an ad for the school, but it is, uh, look, it, it, is, it is a pretty unique experience. And the good thing is the time zone. So people, I think, especially now with COVID, people are going, well, maybe I can. Maybe I can travel and, and study and, 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 and the kids can work. You know, if I, if I can work from home all the time, maybe I could work from home somewhere else. Bali is not it's it's not cheap cheap anymore, but it's it's more affordable than Sydney, right? And so, it, like we rented our apartment out where we're in Bondi, and that paid for, for our lifestyle, right? Uh, which wasn't we didn't live in a big mansion. We had an open plan. We had an open house, which um, for for compared to what some some of the Western places um, lived down in Changu, we're, we're pretty modest uh, in a local community that we lived in. Um, but that also being open plan meant you have frogs jumping through your living room and snakes and, and all those type of things. So we were living in nature. It was beautiful. Thank you to Tyrone Hyde, our guest on this episode of Property Investory.